Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina. Joining me once again is Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing? Doing good, Joe. How about you? Hanging in there. It's a little cold out, in case you didn't notice. Yep. I actually had to put a jacket on today while we record this, so trying oh, to keep, trying to keep the warm. horrors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you can send us questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, at NHHSports. You can listen to the show uh, Tuesday mornings throughout the football season at nh-highschoolsports.com. And uh, just to give you a little update on that, um, or a reminder, because I think we talked about it last week, obviously we're recording a show for, for this week. We'll have another one coming up next Tuesday uh, to recap the Division One championship game. And, and any other playoff thoughts. And then we're going to do one final big old roundup show uh, for the first week of December. So December 6th will be the last uh, last podcast, football podcast of the year. Uh, we'll be, like I said, wrapping up um, any leftover thoughts from what happened, maybe some thoughts about next year, uh, maybe some... Uh, I, I, I know, Mike, you and I have discussed at various points this season some, some ideas for for changes and, and different things uh, throughout this year. So maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll make those real and put them out into the world and, and see if they go anywhere. Yeah, that sounds like a reasonable plan to me. <laughs> All right, so that's, uh, that's what's going to look like coming up. And uh, before we get started today, I want to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. The presenting sponsor for the Ninth State Sports Show is Roger Howe of The Bean Group. The real estate market has cooled just like the New England weather. Interest rates have risen dramatically the last few months, and there could be more increases in the future. Many experts say we may never return to those historical low rates we've had over the last few years. Now is traditionally a slow time in real estate, heading into the holidays and winter. It's time to plan for 2023. Take the time now to connect with Roger Howe from The Bean Group. Whether you are a buyer or a seller, let Roger's many years of experience guide you with a plan on what your next steps should be when the market heats back up after the first of the year. He knows your local market. Contact Roger at 800-450-7784 or 603-247-1583 or email him at roger.howe at beangroup.com. Well, uh, we're, we're running out of games to talk about here, Mike. We're, you know, I'm going to run down the, the, the scores from the weekend, but uh, I hope you're ready to go because this isn't going to take very long. I'm ready to rock. <laughs> All right. Well, of course, uh, you know, last weekend, uh, three games. Uh the Division One semifinals took place uh, Friday and Saturday. You had uh, had Bedford going into Timberlane, keeping their uh, playoff run going with a 32 to nothing win over the Owls. That's Bedford's third shutout of the playoffs, seventh of this year. Um, you know, and, and after uh, after some lower scoring games early in the playoffs, the offense really got going. Uh, actually, mainly it was Colby Snow got going four touchdowns in the game for Bedford. Uh, so they are uh, as the number ten seed into the championship game where they will face uh, number one Londonderry, which got a 21-7 win over Pinkerton Saturday afternoon. Uh, Londonderry's in the final now for the third time in, in the last four seasons, looking for their thir uh, third championship as well. Uh, Bedford, um, as a program, I think this is the, uh, let me think, trying to do this quick on my head, the sixth time they're in the finals uh, since 2012. Or 2011, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry to bring that one up, Mike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, they're sixth time in the finals uh, since 2011, uh, looking for the program's third championship. 
Um, so that game will be on Saturday. Uh, the what is it? The twenty yeah twenty sixth at one o'clock at Exeter High School in uh, in Bill Ball Stadium. Uh, and then uh, Saturday was also the Division Two Championship game, where you had uh, Pelham getting a thirty five to six win over Sauhegan uh, in a game that for I mean, large portions, Pelham dominated uh, their third uh, championship in a row, first one in Division Two. They'd been in uh, one Division Three titles the previous two years, moved up this year, kept their streak going. I think their win streak is now at 30 games. And, uh, 30 games. Yeah, 30 games. And if you go even further back, they've won, I think, 36 of the last 37 games. So just a, a remarkable uh, run for a program that um, – and I, I know you, you probably remember this too – not too long ago, they were they were a program that was struggling. Um, numbers were an issue. Um, you know, they they built that program back up, and uh, and and now they're a, a three time champion. So, uh, yeah, it's a great story. I mean, just just a decade ago, they had you know we went over there to play them. We had when I was at Hollis Brookline, we had just beaten Sauhegan thirty five to nothing, and we went over there to play Pelham. Um, in one of the one of the years where they were struggling, and they only had 17 kids on their roster at that point of the season. It was about yeah. mid-season. That's remarkable. Um, so you think about how far you've come in a decade from, you know, kind of being down on hard times like that to being on a you know a a Plymouth Bobcat type of run in terms of <laughs> you know a streak and consecutive championships and. Um, just, just an amazing, amazing story to turn that around. Uh, again, a decade, you, you, you know, you say it sounds like a long time, but for a football team, I, I do think, you know, teams can get down and it's very hard to get back. Oh, absolutely. To, to build yeah. back up. Yeah. Especially in smaller communities, right? It's not like Pelham is, a you know, has 1300 kids in their school. That is not an easy thing to do. So yeah, pretty, pretty special accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, they were, I think the year, you're talking like maybe 2010, 2011, um, in that yeah. area. And and I remember they they had been in, I think, Division 5, back going back to the 6th Division days. They'd been in Division 5 and had success there and uh, moved up. Uh, they were going to get moved up to Division 4, if I remember correctly. And all of the, the teams that were in Division 4 were like north of Concord at the time. So they opted to yeah. petition all the way up to Division 3. Because most of the teams in Division Three were were south of Concord, um, or close to it, uh, and yeah, they just were they were in over their heads there, and and yeah, you're right; those kind of things typically kill a program, um, you know. Right. They, they... And 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 in that old format, you know, we we're not talking about today's Division Three, right? That's the other no. thing you got to remember: Division Three ten years ago was yes, Sauhegan, Milford, uh, but you also had Goffstown. Portsmouth, Portsmouth, or... Bedford, <laughs> right? For a time, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. There were some very, very, very good football teams that con- that made up Division Three back then. Um, in fact, you know, there were crossover games that took place with Division One that were often competitive, and or the Division Three team would win. Yeah, there were there were a couple of times Sauhegan went and beat Central, I believe. Yeah, beat Concord once. I think we yeah. uh, we had beaten um, Memorial. Right. One year moving up, we had played Merrimack really tough. So I mean, that was a very good Division Three back then too. So you got to figure that into the, the equation. But uh, but yeah, heck of a run uh, capped off with what you know what I think Pelham has said is their most meaningful championship yet. 
I, I mean, I would I would have to agree. I mean, because you know the the final score in all three of these championships has been very one sided. But I think this one, um, you know that you know it's a, not to take anything away from from Stevens and, and Trinity that they played in the Division Three finals the previous two years, but. You know, I, there were a lot of people I talked to that thought that Sauhegan had a very good shot at winning this game uh, and was maybe even the favorite despite, you know, the favorite going into the, the season, I might say. Maybe maybe not so yeah. much on Saturday. Um, you know, and, and Pelham just came out and, and almost from the start dominated the game. Um, you know, turnovers were a big factor. They scored their first two touchdowns off of, off of turnovers. Uh, and then, you know, it looked like, Sauhegan could have gotten back into the game late in the first half and and Pelham in the second half you know took away any chance at, at that happening uh, by just not giving the ball up by my count uh, I had time of possession in the second half 2107 to 229 for Pelham yeah Which I saw good. that in your article I, I that's jaw dropping yeah yeah um, yeah I, I would say Pelham if you were putting together a high-level strategic game plan, I'm not talking about the X's and O's type stuff, but when you sit down and you first start to chart out your game plan for a week, right? It's kind of like, what are the big things we need to do? Pelham did every one of those things. Right. They controlled the clock, and they did it as well, if not better than, they did it in the previous meeting. Uh, I think I had mentioned to you that Pelham at one point had controlled the ball in the previous, previous meeting all but one play, I think of the entire first quarter. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, that's pretty significant, but I think they did, a, they did a better job of, of, of sort of pace and um, tempo and, and just controlling the clock at the right times in this game. Um, they, they were a little bit more diverse in their offensive game plan. Like obviously Ethan Demons was a huge part of that game. He had, what three touchdowns, and I think you had him at at uh, 137 yards right. on 22 carries. Obviously, Demons the big fullback in that wing T offense, but they were able to get the ball, the, the other ball carriers, um, more involved as well, um, which is something that they really weren't able to do in the first game. Um, and then obviously their defense was just lights out, right? They were able to harass Jane, get turnovers, et cetera. So when you're putting together a high level game plan and you're sitting there saying, okay, we got to control the clock. We got to be able to run the ball. We got to be able to give more guys than Demons the ball this time around. And we need to get after Jane. That's, that's how I would have started that conversation with my staff. And those are precisely the things that they did. <laughs> um, you know, I, this was for me, this was the first time, you know, seeing both of these teams live this year. I know you went to the, the regular season game and, and you saw Sauhegan a couple times. Um, and I think I texted you at one point during the game something along the lines of that I couldn't believe the size difference between, um, you know, Pelham up front and, and Sauhegan up front, like just how Sauhegan was able to hang in there because the, the, the size advantage I thought was so stark on, on Pelham's side. Um you know, but Sauhegan found ways to stay in there. Um, you know, and they they had some some bad luck too. Not to you know, not to take away from what Pelham did, but Sauhegan had two touchdowns called back on penalties. Um, they lost you know their top receiver, a guy you've talked about a lot this year, and Maddox McGrath, who's also big on on defense and also the team's punter. Uh, they lost him, I think, in the second second offensive series. Uh, yeah. You know, so just and then the turnovers. The turnovers were were key and and some of them came at 
you know, like we, like I said, mentioned the one, they're the end of the half. Um, you know, they throw an interception in the end zone. Um, you know, there was another series where Pelham fumbled and, you know, Sauhegan just wasn't able to take advantage. I think there was another one where they went back and forth with fumbles too, that Pelham fumbled and Sauhegan turned around and gave it right back two plays later. Um, but just, you know, the, and, and I, I, sorry, backtrack here to, I bring up the size difference too, because where I, the one play I thought that you could see it most of all was, uh, was the one touchdown pass that Pelham had, uh, you know, where Drake, Jake Travis hit Dom Hurling on a fourth down completion where, you know, Hurling had, you know, probably a good six inches on all of the kids that were covering. I mean, he just out jumped everyone for the ball. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it was, you know, it was, it was a, you know, a huge advantage, I think, and, and you know, a tough one to overcome. But um, in the regular season, Sauhegan was able to overcome it to a degree. Yeah, that, that was a bit, I, like I kind of alluded to, I thought that was a big part of the formula was they were able to get like Dom Hurling and um, Alex Carroll, who was the, the, the other running back that right. they really featured in this game. I think you had him or somebody had him 11 carries, 132 yards. Uh, that's significant, right? 200-yard rushers in a championship game. Um, but, you know, you're talking about that size differential. Uh, I, I think it bears mentioning the offensive line for Pelham, really, really good. You know, I've watched a lot of, um, a lot of football this year, and, and it's great that you can do that. We've mentioned a few times now with the different streamings and broadcasts that different outlets do and things like that. You get to see so much more than, hey, I just went to a game on a Friday night or something, right? right. Yeah. And, and these guys uh, – Memphis Patterson, Ricky Lacoste, Derek Musi, Aiden Lynch, Russell Leonard, they're amongst the top offensive lines, regardless of division, that I've seen in New Hampshire this year, right? Merrimack has a really good offensive line. Londonderry has a really good offensive line. Um, these guys are as good as any of those lines, I think. Um, very, very physical big, strong, physical, thick kids. They know their assignments well. There was, there was hardly ever uh, a rushing play where, you know, Pelham didn't have Sauhegan's front blocked up. You know, there wasn't a free runner right. um, for Sauhegan's defense. So I think that bears mentioning. Um, I think the other thing that bears mentioning is the job that the Pelham defense did. You know, I mentioned part of your, your big strategy if, you're, if your coach Babian would be, hey, let's get after Jane a little bit. But the other element was they absolutely eliminated, and, and by the way, twice in a row now, because they did the same thing in the previous meeting, the regular season meeting, they absolutely eliminated uh, you know, superstar running back J.J. Bright yeah. from the stat sheet. I mean, he had one carry for whatever it was, 50-something yeah. yards, and I think he totaled... 58. I had him for 10 carries, 58 yards, and 51 of that was on his last run uh, late in the game. Right. Um, and they were, it was clear too, in the first half, I mean, they, he only had two carries in the second. Well, again, Sauhegan didn't have the ball enough in the second half to, to give him the ball. But in the first half, I had him with eight carries on 13 yards. And it was, you know, uh, it was clear that, that I think most of those yards came on that kind of option play they were running, that he would run with Jane, where, where Jane was pitching him the ball after they both had kind of run, you know, uh, um, kind of outside a little bit. And that was yeah, a little where, speed yeah, where that was where he got most of his yards. If they were giving him the ball in the backfield, he was going for, um, you know, a loss typically. So yeah, it was 
it, the job that they did on him was remarkable, I thought. Yeah, because it can't be – I can't overstate how good he really is. I mean, I've seen him play a lot, and he's just – he's so explosive, and it's not just the outside stuff. I mean, he's pretty good running off tackle on their counter scheme and stuff. He's been very difficult to stop all season. He almost always has a big gainer. Like, in almost every game, you know, he's he's getting a, a 30, 40, 60-yard run, whatever, right? And, yeah, he did have that big gainer in this game, so he, that streak continued. Um, if there was such a thing, I'm just sort of pulling that out of nowhere, but that was just my observation. <laughs> <laughs> but but they did such a good job containing him, and and they did the same thing in the previous matchup. To be honest with you, he was kind of eliminated early from Sauhegan's game plan, and man, you become one dimensional on a on a windy day in uh, you know in, in mid November um, because the other team's defense is just that good. It, it 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 takes a lot of things away that you want to be able to do as an offense. I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I think you know as much as as it was. Um... You know, getting off to the great start that Pelham did was huge. You know, they get, like I said, two turnovers to start the game. They go up 14 nothing. The last probably five and a half minutes of the first half probably, to me, is where the game, the the, the balance, uh, the game hung in the balance there, and, and Pelham maybe won the game there as much as they did anywhere else. You know, Sauhegan gets its one touchdown uh, with 521 left in the half, makes it 21-6. And right on, on Pelham's next play, they fumble, lose a fumble. So he can get the ball back, can't do anything with it. They turn over on downs. Two plays later, Pelham fumbles again. Um, 3.43 left. So has got the ball at the 43 of the Pythons. Uh, they that This is one of the drives where they had a touchdown called back on a hold, but they end up getting a um, pass interference call on Pelham to move, uh, get a first down at the 16. They take a couple of shots, um, get down to the four, and then that that third and five or third and goal from the five play, where uh, Jane Romy Jane is is picked off by Connor Travis. I, I mean that play right there, I think, completely completely changes the game. You know, because if that's if Sauhegan scores there, it's what twenty one thirteen or twenty one fourteen or twenty one twelve. It's a one score game basically at that point going into the half. Yeah, you know, Pelham's, and momentum was starting yeah, to shift. There. It, it felt like it was starting to shift, uh, you know, and that interception turned out to be huge. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned um, Derek Muse there as as uh, you know being a part of that that huge offensive line for Pelham, uh, but maybe his biggest play might have been on that interception. I don't. He he. Uh, Travis tried to return them. He was like a good eight yards deep in the end zone and started trying to run the ball out. And, uh, and Muse came up and tackled him, like hit him hard. Uh, yeah, to play knock him of the da- yeah. season. <laughs> knock him down in the end zone. Uh, that might have been that might have been the hardest hit of the game, by the way, too. <laughs> uh, oh, seriously? I mean, it was it, you know the thing that impressed me the most about that was the awareness that that he must have had. Yeah. You know, you've got to be pretty hyper aware of exactly where you are on the field if you're going to do something as bold as tackle your own teammate. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and with all the different lines on those turf fields, right. Cause they line them for soccer and uh, all oh, these yeah, other things. Was, yeah. I, I was just taken aback by how absolutely hyper aware he must've been with no doubt that the ball was still in the end zone when he, when he tackled his teammate to ensure that they didn't have a field position problem as he was trying to run it out. And I, I didn't, I didn't see it, um, live, but I overheard, uh, coach baby and asking the official on the sideline, what would have happened if they, if they'd fumbled or lost the ball there? 
because I guess I guess the ball might have come loose a little bit, um, you know, after the hit. Uh, but you know, Travis was able to hang on to it. But yeah, what what happens there if he hits him so hard the ball comes out? <laughs> you know, yeah, what happens is you end up holding your head in your hands for about 15 straight seconds and trying to regather your composure. But, (laughs) (laughs) but, but yeah, I I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think the other thing that you, you know, in in you kind of recounting the, 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 that last, whatever it was, five minutes and 20 there was the fact that neither of these teams played really cleanly. There were, there were a lot of penalties and turnovers on both sides. One of the big differences aside from just the physicality and, and the, the ball control, that Pelham uh, obviously was superior at was that those mistakes, you know, those procedure penalties, the the turnovers, they didn't hurt Pelham as bad as they hurt Sauhegan. Right. You know, Sauhegan's errors took touchdowns off the board. Yeah. yeah. You know, there was a procedure penalty early in the game for an illegal formation or an illegal shift, I think it was, that took a touchdown off the board for Sauhegan. Um, whereas Pelham's mistakes were daunting but were generally overcome i felt like right yeah like like you said they they um pelham had the edge on turnovers i think five to two um so they were plus three on turnovers uh penalties i had pelham 10 for 92 yards how he four for 25 but yeah two of those four uh took touchdowns away so yeah you're absolutely right about that that there was there was definitely a um you know the mistakes that there. It was definitely not a mistake-free game, and and Pelham was able to capitalize on those uh, more than Sauhegan was. I got, yeah, I got one. Yeah, other... and and not be hurt by their own errors, right? right there were right, there were yes. a few penalties they made on drives, procedure penalties, or like you said, fumbles and stuff, where it just it just didn't it didn't turn bad for them. So they were able to you know recover and and keep a drive going or whatever it might be. So yeah, yeah, all those little things add up to you know the end result. I, I got one other uh, set of numbers here, stats here for you that I, I want to throw at you and see what you think of this. Um, so I, I was thinking this during the game, and, um, you know, because it seemed like Sauhegan in the first half in particular had a lot of, you know, they were in a lot of third and long situations. And uh, so I went back and looked at, at how each team did on first down. And, um, you know, I, at first glance, it doesn't look that bad. I got Pelham had gained five, 5.5 yards on first down, uh, on, on all of their first downs. And Sauhegan was at 5.1. Well, two of those plays for Sauhegan, one was the 51-yard run by, by Bright that we talked about earlier. And the mm-hmm. other, other one was the 40-yard completion from, from Jane to um, Charlie Maroon that, uh, that Sauhegan ended up losing a fumble on that play. Uh, so you take away, that's 91 yards there. You take away those two yards and Sauhegan's average play on first down went for 0.6 yards. Yeah. Yeah, when you're starting drives on average, uh, you know, second down and eight and a half, <laughs> or, or, or whatever it would be, nine and a half, um, or even that, 12, that's a tough yeah. way to get any, any, you know, no matter what your offense is designed around, no matter how much speed you've got, that's, that's tough sledding. Yeah. So, um, so just like again, a uh, an overall dominating performance by Pelham. You know, just on on, on a lot of fronts. Um, you know, it was funny. Someone asked uh, asked uh, Coach Baby, and after the game, is a is a four peat in the works? And he just kind of laughed and was like, "I'm not I'm not thinking about that now. That's 
that's for another day. <laughs> that's yeah. not today. Um, but you yeah, know, yeah, and what? that's that's the right answer there, right? I right. mean, hey, you gotta let me let me enjoy today <laughs> and the weekend a little bit here, and uh, we'll worry about next year a little later. Yeah, but they they do lose, um, you know, some some key guys. Uh, you know, Demons, you mentioned he he was a senior. Um, same with Alex Carroll, Jake Travis, the quarterback, a couple of those linemen um, that you mentioned as well. So they, they do lose some key guys, but but they've got a lot of guys coming back, certainly that can contribute, that did contribute to this uh, this championship. And then you look across the way, too. Uh, you know, Sauhegan, you know, they're going to lose some key guys, uh, mostly, you know, in that receiving core, receiving defensive back, you know, kind of, Guys that that you know that, that that play both ways, um, you know McGrath, Maroon, both seniors, um, you know, and then there's the question too of of um, you know they've got one of the better quarterbacks in the state and Romy Jane, who's a sophomore. Um, you know, does he have ambitions of trying to get onto a bigger stage? Um, you know, does he decide to go? Uh, you know, maybe the prep school route. Um, so that's another question mark too. You, you'd love to see him come back and see what this. He and Bright and some of those other return, you know, underclassmen could do, but uh, you know, that's I think that's definitely a, a reasonable question at this point. Yeah, I, I would hope not. I mean, you know, his older brother Austin was a, a championship quarterback at Sauhegan, um, and and obviously that, you know, so that in, in a way with and, and with Romy's success uh, and and the type of coach that um, Coach Bockhead is, you know really great atmosphere over there in terms of their culture and stuff. You'd hope that that wouldn't be a factor, but yeah, I mean, we've seen it happen with kids before, so. It wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> Let's just. No, yeah, that's what I mean. That, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Uh, but that again, another, another thing, the, those are the things for, for people like us to speculate on, on uh, three days after the game. Um, yeah. You know, it'll be something that I'm sure is decided further down the road. Um but any other any final thoughts on uh, on the Division Two game? <laughs> or, yeah, I think uh, there's only there's one other just my you know quick quick thing I want to bring up, but I think it's it's worth mentioning is that you know it was a it was a really nice day for football. The sun is out, and you know the 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 place is packed, and and um, I don't know. It just it just felt like it was going to be a great day for football, and it was a really entertaining game. Um, again, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. Thirty seconds. Um, my experience sitting in the stands as a fan at that game was really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, the, 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 let, let's just say the adult fans who were in attendance at that game were not behaving as adults. And it was embarrassing. I was there with a good friend of mine who I had coached many, many years of football with. He had brought his young son, and I was embarrassed for him um, with some of the things that I heard from adult fans that were in attendance. I, the, the student fans I heard nothing from. Um, the adult fans in attendance at that game, it was embarrassing. And it was disappointing. And I was uncomfortable. I've been to a lot of football games in my life, a lot of football games between scouting and just being a fan and, and high level, even going to, to you know pro and college games. This was one of the worst experiences I have ever had from that perspective. And, and I feel very bad about that. And that's all I'm going to say. Uh, I would say, um, as a uh, a media person who was on the field, uh, I also share your sentiment. Um, 
it was from I, I'm obviously I, I don't think I could hear as much as you could, but I could hear it from both sides, um, you know, walking back and forth. Um, and I would agree with you. It was it just it, it's ridiculous. Like it doesn't add anything. It doesn't do anything. There's no point to it. You only make yourself look stupid doing it. Why? Why do I don't? I just don't understand. It. As a, as a person who likes to go and watch a game, I don't. I, I, anyone that knows me knows if I'm if I'm there just watching something for fun, I'm sitting there and I'm not making a peep because that's just who I am. Like I I'm, you know, I don't understand any of that stuff. So why people do it is beyond me. And honestly, I and I I, I mentioned this to you before we started. I, I think it's gotten worse, you know, since the start since. I don't say since the start of the pandemic because that first eight months or so after we got back to playing sports was really good. People were very respectful. Everyone was happy to be there, happy that their kids were playing. Um, you know, and it was really the end of that spring season that it started to get pretty bad. And I feel like people just don't know how to be around each other anymore. Like you're not in your in your living room on the computer or yelling at your TV. I mean, it just, yeah. it's, it's, there's no place for it. And, uh, yeah, you're right. It was, it was very disappointing. Um, and, and I, I'll, I mean, hopefully something changes. I'll leave it with this. My two thoughts on it are as follows. One is, you know, Hey, you, we wonder why uh, in the state and across the country, there's a problem getting coaches to stay at places and there's a problem getting officials to do games. Um, this is why. Uh, there's there's no other answer. This is why. Um, and and number two would be, I would hope that people would be mature enough to realize that. I know there's a lot of emotion at a championship game, um, and there should be, but it's not about you sitting up in the stand. It's about the kids on the field, and it's their time. And to to behave in a way that would take away from that experience uh it's just it's just like i said i just i was very embarrassed for everyone uh from that perspective so but i'm gonna drop it now because we have we have two other big (laughs) games to talk about but um and and that you know that's what our podcast is about it's about the kids but uh that was that was just something i thought was worthwhile mentioning because it it it, like i said i've been to a lot of games and this one this one was rough really rough from that perspective it was bad enough that we felt the need to interrupt our football podcast to talk about fan behavior. Yeah, let's. Yeah, and and like you said before the show, if you want more details on this, you can <laughs> right, tune yeah, into yeah, our yeah, uh, our after hours, our our seventeen plus show, right, yeah, Joe? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Yeah, we. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Everybody's going to be emailing you. Whoa, where's that one? <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Well, if you haven't turned us off yet, now we're going to talk about the Division One, uh, Division One games, um, which were, I, I, I mean, I mean, one game I think you probably ex- to, to a certain degree expected the outcome, but the other game, and that and that being the Bedford win over Timberlane, I, I mean, I did not see that coming. I think you said the same thing to me during the game. I didn't see that score coming. I think that was a lot of people were surprised by that. Um, I mean, Bedford just, again, like much like Pelham, just dominated uh, so many aspects of that game to win 32 to nothing. Uh, it, it was the kind of thing where, where like, one thing happened and then another, and it just kind of started to snowball on Timberlane, and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're you know, doing things that, that are, are desperation kind of moves, and just nothing was working. Um, you know, Bedford's defense, which has been 
solid almost all year. Um, you know, they stepped up again, and and I, I the, the shutout thing is remarkable. Um, you know, to go three games in a season with a sh- with shutouts is something. They've now gone seven games with three of those games in the playoffs. Like, I just I how do you wrap your head around that? Can you wrap your head around that? No, no. Something something changed with Bedford after that that Merrimack game. Um, and and they never looked back in terms of you know the way that they played defense in particular. Um, and, and and I don't know that for sure. That's just sort of what it seems like to me. Um, but man, I, I've I've never seen anything like this from a defensive standpoint, at least not for a long time. Yeah, it's just I well I think that's what it was was they lost that game and realized you know maybe that that um you know if they're they put their backs against the wall at that point and if things are going to change they had to change so you know and and another thing too is is you look at matchups um you know Bedford's a good passing team they're a pretty balanced offense uh, but their passing yeah. game is better than a lot of other teams um you know in the state and in the division for sure. And and for Timberlane, um, that was I think probably one of their weakest points. They they tell you that that um, you know pass defense was it was a bit of a struggle at times. And you look their first two uh, two playoff games, they played Concord and Exeter, who you know certainly are not you know high powered passing attacks. You know they'll throw the ball when they have to, uh, but yeah. certainly more run first teams. Um, you know, and this this matchup uh, for Timberlane is probably you know. Uh, one of their least favorable. Um, you know, and you look at a couple weeks ago, uh, late in the regular season, they had that shootout with Dover. Well, Dover is also a pass-heavy team. So, uh, you know, in, in hindsight, that one may be a, a little bit less of a surprise that that was a high-scoring game. So, you know, something that, that Bedford saw as an advantage, and they were able to take advantage of it. You know, and, and I mentioned at the top, the Colby Snow, um, just a, a ridiculous game. Um you know, I had him for nine carries, 101 yards, and two touchdowns uh, rushing. And then he had two catches for 109 yards and two more touchdowns. Um, yeah, I've know. been waiting all day to say this, <laughs> but it was the snow show out <laughs> there. <laughs> Come on, that's terrible. <laughs> you, can edit, you can edit that out, Joe. Okay, okay. No, no, well, now I'm definitely not editing it out. But, I mean, he's just – I mean – he, if you haven't seen him play live, he he has sprinter speed. Like his, any field he steps on, he's one of the fastest, if not the fastest, kid on the field. And and that's a, what it was a lot uh, with a couple of these plays where he would get to the second level, and just outrun kids um, to the end zone. Um, you know, no one was going to catch him. That's you know, you saw that happen in the the, the quarterfinal game against North too. The one touchdown in that game. You know, he just ran away from everybody, uh, was able to get in the end zone. Um, you know, and, and uh, the numbers for, for Danny Black, uh, Bedford's quarterback, great. 7 of 11 for 222 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, I had him as uh, 6 of 8 in the first half, too, which, um, you know, he did a great job uh, getting the ball out, moving around a little bit. Uh, Logan Sphere had a nice game, too, running, 52 yards and a touchdown. Just all around, um, you know, just a, a great game for Bedford. Yeah, I think a, a couple points from an analysis standpoint. You know, one was, uh, you know, we all know Danny Black is a good quarterback. Uh, I did not expect Danny Black to outperform Dom Capetta. Right. You know, Dom Capetta is one of those guys that I think rightfully belongs in the player of the year conversation. 
um, just in terms of everything that he's done for his team with his legs and with his arms, with his arm and with his, his leadership skills. But um, Danny Black had a great night. Um, and that can't be overlooked here. He's, and he's been good all season. I'm just saying you're talking about a really good quarterback against who I would have considered an elite quarterback, and, and Black really outperformed Capetta. Um, you know, the second thing was I, I think, you know, speaking of, of Dom Capetta, I think Timberlane had a really hard time up front. Right. Um, and, and from what I saw, you know, Bedford was able to get pressure with, with three and four players at times, right? Just their, their down line, right? They sort of went back and forth from having a three-man line to a four-man line. Um, but they were off the ball so quick, and they were able to get pressure with just their down linemen that in times where it was obvious where, where Capetta was going to pass, um, you know, Bedford could send an inside linebacker, and the offensive line was even looking for a blitz because they were engaged in trying to get as many double teams on the guys on the front that they could. And their eyes were just buried into those double teams and pass protection. And there were a couple times where a Bedford inside linebacker just came absolutely free. I mean, nobody even chipped on the kids and they were either flushing Capetta out where he would have to make something magical happen just to get back to the line of scrimmage, or it was a, you know, it was a sack and a considerable loss of yardage. So you know, those, again, those are the kind of things that add up and make a difference in a game as it goes on, right? You know, the, the Timberlane line is kind of, uh, you know, gets it in their head a little bit that, hey, we've really got to get on these down linemen. Um, and, it, and, and just the fact that they were so good, so quick off the ball, so capable of getting to the quarterback with, with just their rushers that they could dial up a blitz when they really needed to get extra pressure. And they it was almost a certainty that that was going to be a – a big deal. Um, so that's a lot of what I saw from Bedford being able to shut Capetta down. And then the other thing was the job that Timberlane did in the running game. Dom Capetta led Timberlane in rushing, if I'm not mistaken, with like 23 yards. Uh, I had him at, yeah, 30, well, I had him at 32. 32, okay, yeah, maybe I inverted that. But, but. but I mean, he had, yeah, I had him 17 carries, 32 yards. Um, six of those were negative plays. Or where you got negative yardage for those uh, on sacks in the second half. Um, I mean, he basically had zero net yards in the second half. Is what is what I had. Right. Uh, and you know, and I, and he. Uh, sorry, he he started. I was just going back and looking at my notes here. Uh, you know, Bedford uh, after they scored and went up seven nothing. Um, Timberlane's first play on the next drive, he ran for a seventeen yard gain, where. Um, Snow and uh, and Jack Rizzo made a probably touchdown saving tackle for Bedford. Yes, uh, you know, and and you think about that. It's seven nothing. If he breaks that and scores, and it's a seven seven game. Uh, what a difference that makes! Because that drive ended up stalling out. Uh, Timberlane went for it on Bedford's forty four, didn't get it, and then three plays later, uh, Black hits Snow for a fifty three yard touchdown, and it's then fourteen nothing. You know, right. so it's kind of, and that's that's where the snowball, I think, you know, starts happening. Um, you know, I think about actually on that fourth down play, um, you know, it was an incompletion that would have been a first down. You know, you go look to the next drive. They've got, um, you know, they're in second and long. He gets sacked. Um, they end up having to punt. Yeah, just a lot of things. And then, you know, they, they get into later in the game, and they're trying to force it a little bit more. Bedford knows that, and their 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 defensive backs are just sitting back there waiting to to pick off passes. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. That That is a huge turning point. And, and then, you know, you had mentioned Bedford's speed on offense, um, and it's not just snow, right? I think I think they've got speed all over the place. And, you know, it, it, it forced Timberlane to play more of a uh, of a soft coverage. And so while Bedford was able to, to hit, still able to hit some things downfield, as you mentioned, with a couple of, of big gainers, um, they were able to keep a lot of drives going with, with underneath passes, right? Intermediate and, and, you know, quick stuff because they had so much cushion in there. So th- I think that also contributed to, to Bedford's success. Um, and then the last thing I would say, and this is, this is probably a little bit of dangerous speculation on my part, but I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's irresponsible, but I, you know, I was watching at times Timberlane's reaction you know, like, like sort of body language and things like that when, when things wouldn't roll their way. Um, and, and they just looked exhausted. And I don't mean physically exhausted. I, I think they were just exhausted as a team, maybe. Um, and, and again, like I said, that dangerous speculation, I don't know. I'm not on the practice field with those guys. And by the way, I'm not saying that I blame them in any way, right? My point is that they've been through so many close games um, during this playoff run and, and having to do – really the impossible last week to pull that out um, with the, you know, the passes to Mwangi and, and, and some of the magical things that they pulled off last week, it can be really hard emotionally to get back up again, uh, especially when you get down a little bit early, right? To, to, you know, cause it can go two ways. You could say to yourself, Hey guys, we've been here before and we know that we can come back or you, you might just not have anything left emotionally in the tank. Right. And part of me wonders whether Timberlane was just emotionally tapped out because it's a it's a talented football team with a ton of heart, awesome senior leadership. I mean, they graduate 19 seniors off that roster, and they've got a lot of really good young talent. We both know that coming up. Right, yeah. um, but a very senior heavy team. But I, I wonder too whether the 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 specter looming over them of oh boy, we got to mount another comeback here was just too much. Because I've been there. I've seen it, you know, with, with teams that I've been a part of, right, where you've just, you've had this to really pull off some incredible things the previous couple weeks and you get put in that same situation a third week in a row. It can be, it can be hard to muster the emotional strength you need to get back at it again. Yeah, and, and they haven't, you know, they haven't been in that spot um, very much lately. You know, to, you know right. last year they're, you know, undefeated, winning the Division Two championship this year. You know, their only losses to to BG and to, to Portsmouth during the regular season. Um, do I got that right? I think I got that right. <laughs> uh, now, now I, I can't remember, but yeah, um, yeah. You know, they in that in that game against BG too, they were down big at halftime and and came back and nearly won that one. So I mean, it's right. You're right. It's it, it's yeah. After you have such a an emotional win against a team like Exeter. And then all of a sudden you find yourself down, you know, twenty to nothing in the next game. It's uh, it 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 starts to take a toll on you, I think. Yeah, but uh, you know, I think Coach Fitzgerald has every reason to be unbelievably proud of that team, his seniors especially that that have given that that program not only a great ride these last couple of years, but really honestly a great rebirth. Um, tremendous, tremendous work there by the seniors and the coaching staff, and then. On the other side of the of the of the deal, you know, I thought Coach Matthews had an awesome game plan. They executed it to perfection against a very good opponent. Um, it's it's going to set the table for a really interesting game this coming weekend. Yeah, how about how about that for the 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 first year that they expand the playoffs to thirteen teams? 
the 10 seed uh, gets all the way to the final. Yeah. It's just uh, yeah, it... not to say that, that Bedford wouldn't have been a playoff team in the previous format. I, I think they definitely would have been. Uh, but just to see the number 10 there next to a, next to their name and uh, and playing in this game against, like we said, the uh, the number one seed, Londonderry, that, uh, that's won uh, two of the last three championships. It's, uh, you know, I, I think... On on paper, you look at that one versus ten, and you think maybe ah oh, this this game that is going to be all Londonderries. But I think I think it's going to be a little bit more interesting than maybe people even think. And you know, you look at uh, at Londonderries two playoff games so far. Um, certainly been interesting. Uh, both what twenty one seven wins this past week, of course against Pinkerton. With uh, with what um, another special teams touchdown for Londonderry, right? And uh, and only yeah. giving up seven yeah. points on defense. Yeah, I was going to say that the the story again, two weeks in a row has been Londonderry special teams, right? I mean, last week against Merrimack, they were dominated statistically in 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 most areas except for the scoreboard and special teams. They had the opening kickoff return for a touchdown, and then they actually stole two possessions on. Uh, on kickoff, not necessarily onside kicks, but just kind of high pop flies that uh, that weren't fielded properly, and and uh, and Londonderry ended up recovering them. So, you know, with a tight game like that that you were dominated in statistically, you could say, hey, Londonderry special teams really won that game. I think you can kind of say the same thing here because it was it was the uh, the Cam Brutus block punt that uh, Seth Doyen picked up and ran in into the end zone for a touchdown. And then later, uh, there was a there was a punt that basically pinned Pinkerton down inside the five, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think Trevor Wyman is the punter, and they yeah. pinned Pinkerton just inside the five, and that sort of led to um, another touchdown, right? Because the Astros were ended up to force to punt from from inside the five, and then two plays later, Heenan scores on a seven yard run because. The, the the ball was basically spotted at the Pinkerton 13. Wow. After a face mask penalty. Yeah, yeah. And it took Londonderry two plays to score. So, again, like special teams, two scores. You, you could really attribute that second touchdown to special teams, even though it was Heenan who ran the score in, because your special teams got you the ball basically on the 13-yard line going in. And, and you so, know, I, pretty amazing story there for Londonderry. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's we've you, you know, as a coach, you've probably said this cliche a million times, but the special teams are, are, you know, the three phases of the game, right? And, and, and it's, it's, it is true. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of cliche and kind of cheesy and whatever, but it's, it's true. You know, you have to, you know, if you're not, you have to be buttoned up on special teams. You can't just forget about them. Um, You know, and Londonderry, I think goes, you know, coach Lozon and, and his crew go, maybe beyond I think what most staffs do in terms of special teams and and you know say say what you was like oh yeah sure Joe yeah I bet they do I've been over there for practices in the preseason and a lot of times on the first day and um, I've watched them go through special teams drills I watched them go through punt blocking drills uh, on the first day of practice it's not I, I you know it's it's one thing to say that yeah we do it but they, I think they actually do it, maybe a little bit more than everyone else does, uh, and it certainly yeah. shows. 
I will say one of the things that I was most proud about in my own personal evolution as a coach uh, over the, the, the couple decades that I did it for was, was really putting, you know, walking the talk with regard to special teams is important in the latter years of my coaching career, right? We would spend a lot of time and energy on special teams, like you said, drills, right? Not just running out there and being like, okay, give me the punt team, you know, and blah, 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 right? But actually going out there and having indie periods or pods for your different units, right? The gunner's going to be with this coach. You're going to work on this. The protectors and the, the long snapper and the punter, you're going to be over here working on this. And the rest of the lane guys, you're going to be over here with that coach working on that. We've got eight minutes, go, you know? And um, uh, that to me was sort of, again, something I was proud of that I had actually learned in, in terms of self-development. And I think any staff that spends quality time on special teams, like obviously Londonderry does, um, it, it pays off. And it may even take a couple of years of doing it, but it pays off. And right here, I would say two playoff wins attributed to special teams for Londonderry. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. So huge story there. And and um, you know how much uh, how much of a factor is that going to be on Saturday? Could be a lot. You know. Yeah. If, oh, absolutely. You know, two teams that have been, you know, explosive at times on offense, uh, defenses that have been shut down. You know, we talking about Bedford and shutouts. You know, Londonderry has been pretty good on defense too. Um, you know, on, under seven uh, yeah. points a game the last four games. Um, you know, they, they've only allowed more than 14, three times. And two of those were the first two weeks. Uh, and one was against, uh, Bishop Hendricken, you know, down in Rhode Island. Um, you know, I, it, it could be a low scoring game on, on Saturday. I'm going to tell you, Joe, I thought, uh, you know, I thought that, um, Pinkerton had a chance to win this game, given how they progressed, um, in the back half of the season here. Um, they they really started clicking. I think the emergence of um, guys like Morrison, for example, uh, who, who really wasn't a factor in the first game, you know, he's really come on strong for Pinkerton uh, at the end of the year here. And and so I thought it would be a very different kind of game, and it was. But but honestly, uh, you know, Pinkerton didn't pick up a first down until there were 17 seconds left in the opening half. Wow. Uh, they were, I think they were 0 for 5 or 0 for 6 on first downs in, in the first half of football. I mean, just, and you think about the weapons that Pinkerton has. Yanako, Albert, Morrison, uh, you know, they couldn't get anything going. And I was watching Londonderry's defense very carefully and it, just the discipline that they had in their reads, right? You, you hear a lot about linebackers reading guards and blocking schemes and stuff they were almost perfect reading Pinkerton's blocking schemes and flowing and fitting correctly to the, to the different run schemes that Pinkerton runs. But it wasn't just them. It was the defensive line as well. You know, if, you know, if Pinkerton was blocking down and pulling to try to, you know, run a counter or get a back outside, those kids were disciplined. They would recognize what the offensive linemen for Pinkerton were doing. And they were just squeezing and water skiing and staying home and just leaving nothing for Pinkerton. It wasn't really until, like I said, that last, the Pinkerton's last drive where they just ran straight ahead, essentially, right? They just kind of pounded the ball with, without doing any of the typical wing T stuff where you're, you're blocking down and pulling, where they were able to get something going. Um, 
So, you know, what I'm saying there is a huge credit to Pinkerton's def- uh, Londonderry's defensive front and their coaching staff for instilling, you know, those reads and those keys, and, and most importantly, that discipline in those kids to play that well against a very, very good offense. It was it was something for the football nerd in me to see. It was very impressive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any, uh, I guess, what are your initial thoughts on on that game on Saturday? Um, I mean, it's uh, you know, like I said, on paper, you know, given the seating, it maybe looks a little weird, but I, I don't know. I, I think. I think you throw that out at this point, um, you know, because if you're playing in the final, you got to be pretty good, making it through three rounds of playoffs and and, and all that. Um, yeah, you know. I, I, I do. I think so. Um, I, well, I think you know. So, so I'll say a couple of things. One is what I just said um, about the 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 advantage that Londonderry's defense had over what Pinkerton tries to do on offense. I don't know that that exists as heavily in a game against an offense like what what Bedford runs because Bedford Bedford will move linemen around and things like that, but they're, they're not as dependent on it as Pinkerton is. And, and, and certainly Merrimack was a very similar team in terms of style, right? Merrimack wasn't pulling a bunch of linemen all over the place. In other words, giving you those keys. So it might negate a little bit of, of what Londonderry's defense is very good at. I think the other thing that I, I, I think will be interesting is, you know, Londonderry's secondary is really good. You know, I, I looked at this, uh, this game Pinkerton, and Londonderry as, as sort of a matchup of maybe two of the best safeties in New Hampshire. Uh, Trevor Weinman is a very, very good defensive football player for Londonderry. Um, Pinkerton has a guy named uh, Patrick Waldron, Waldron, who is, I think, one of the best safeties in New Hampshire. He's unbelievable. He made some huge plays against BG, as you know, right, um, yeah. last week, including, I think, a solo tackle on the two-point conversion, which was the the difference in that game. So, but anyway, my point is to say, I, I think Londonderry secondary um, is a much better unit overall, um, perhaps than what Timberlane um, was able to field this week. So that's, that's another element where you say, Hey, you know, is, is, is snow and company going to be able to just sort of run unchecked through the secondary or, you know, is it going to be a little bit of a different ball game out there? Um, that should be an interesting matchup, but, I'm also not sure that Londonderry's seen the pure speed that Bedford brings to the table either. Right. Yeah, there's I mean so, Londonderry's Londonderry and Bedford speed wise might be you know two of the top one top teams in the division. Um so that yeah, that'll be an interesting. That might cancel each other out in a way. I also think right. we're also we're also going to luck out a little bit on the weather as well. Um you know, looking at this maybe a, about a week ago uh, or, or maybe a couple days ago, it looked like it might snow uh, Friday night into Saturday. Um, but now it's looking like it's going to be warm enough in the 50s uh, that it's just going to be rain and, and may even be uh, finishing up in the morning uh, so that by the time the game kicks off at 1, it's it's uh, the sun's out. So fingers crossed for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, can... hope, hopefully so, right? You yeah. want both teams to have their playbooks open. Um but I also think, you know, interestingly enough, Londonderry's offense has struggled a little bit the last couple of weeks. I mean, we, we've, we've praised Londonderry a ton, as we should. Um, but again, we've also made the point that their special team has had to bail them out the last two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and that's absolutely true. And I think that's a great story. But the other side of that story is the Londonderry offense has been really challenged the last couple of weeks. I mean, Merrimack 
really, really played well against Londonderry two weeks ago. I thought, I, honestly, I thought Pinkerton's defense was really good, uh, much better than they were in the regular season game. You know, they they really limited um, Heenan a little bit in the first half. He, he had a couple things that he made happen that were really big, but he didn't have, you know, kind of a, that breakout game that he has uh, more often than not. Um, you know, they limited the run game pretty well. They were They were... You know, they've been challenged the last couple of weeks. And as we've made note of, Bedford's defense is lights out right now. Um, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a tall order to say, hey, we, we're going to expect our special teams to win a championship game if you're Londonderry. So um, I think there's a lot of interesting, interesting storylines for this matchup this weekend. Yeah. Uh, well, there's also, uh, believe it or not, there's two other games involving New Hampshire teams going on this week. Uh, yes. Well, I guess we'll wrap up by briefly mentioning those. But uh, Thursday is going to see the return of the uh, the Turkey Bowl, uh, the Manchester Turkey Bowl, with uh, with Central and Memorial playing uh, 10 a.m. Uh, I believe at Gill Stadium. Um, I don't yep. know where else they would be playing. Um, so that returns uh, Thursday morning, and as kind of a, a last minute surprise here. Uh, Winnicott will be going to play Lowell on Thanksgiving, uh, also at 10 a.m. down in Lowell. Um, and that one, uh, you know, a nice, uh, a, a bad situation as to why Lowell was available to play that game. Um, you know, if in case you, you know, just I'll be brief about this, but in case you hadn't heard, uh, Lowell is plays Haverhill on Thanksgiving typically, uh, but that game was canceled this year because Haverhill has forfeited the rest of their season after uh, what sounds like a really bad hazing incident. Um, So their season is done. That left Lowell without a game. And uh, some outside connections somehow brought, you know, the Lowell and and, and Winnicunit together. Uh, And they will play, uh, like I said, at 10 o'clock on Thursday. Uh, A weird situation for Winnicunit, too, where they had their equipment pick up uh, on the 8th of November. Uh, according to the the story that's in the the Portsmouth Herald, um, had equipment pick up on November eighth. They're going to be down three starters who had travel plans for Thanksgiving that they couldn't change. <laughs> uh, they're only going to have maybe about twenty five kids uh, playing, and they've got about three days to practice. So not an ideal situation for Winnicott. But you know, I, I I imagine maybe it's a little bit like what you know I, I would hear you know college coaches say about bowl games. You know. It's just another another practice. We get to have another practice. The kids that are coming back next year get to experience yeah. another game. Um, you know, and, and barring injury, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, you're playing football. I mean, that's. I used to hear that a lot and wonder what it meant. But again, kind of older and wiser now, I, I understand that. Like, you know, these these games don't go on forever. And you know, imagine being a senior for for Winnicott and thinking that your season was over, and then getting the news that you you you're going to get one more time to put on pads right. and go out and play with your team. That's that's pretty cool. As improbable as that matchup is, uh, especially the way that went down, you know, in terms of developing it, uh, I, I think that's pretty cool. It's it's a it's a tradition that's been kind of lost here in the state, as we've talked a couple times on the show over the last four or five years and, and, you know, over the last decade really, but it's, it's particularly dropped off over the last three, four or five years. And, uh, it's something I'd like to see come back a little bit, right? I mean, every town doesn't need to play, but I think there's matchups out there that have some, some history and some story around them. It would be really cool to see those type of things 
get reinvigorated. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I don't know how you make it work. I mean, it's like I said, no, you know, Winnicott played in one of those uh, non-playoff games the last, you know, the first week of November. And, and like I said, they turned their equipment in on the 8th. I mean, it's a, it's a tough ask, I think, sometimes for teams that are finishing up their season if they don't make the playoffs to, to continue practicing for three weeks for a game that, um, you know, it, it, it's just a tough situation, I think, if you're not. It is. If you're yeah. not, your season doesn't go into the postseason, you know, to, to, to be able to hang around and, and put everything else off, I think. You know, if you're a winter athlete, you're trying to maybe get ready for some, you know, wrestling or basketball or something. Yeah, I, I can understand both sides of it because I'm no, absolutely. I, I fit in with you too. I, I'm very excited that there is still one more championship game to cover. Um, I I will cover football games whenever I can. Uh, you know, so so yeah, I I definitely like having an extra game to cover at the end of the year. So I, I yep. can see it both sides. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that'll pretty much uh, wrap us up for this week, Mike. Unless you have any uh, final thoughts. I don't. I don't. I think we've. Uh, I think we've chewed enough air. But uh, <laughs> it, it was a great weekend, and uh, I'm hoping for another huge game this weekend for the kind of the last curtain call for the big season. I, I will say I'm not going to be able to be there because I'm going to see Ohio State Michigan this weekend. Oh, so, okay. Well, you're, you're... yeah, that was kind of a last minute thing, and uh, it's funny because we 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 got it all booked and everything. In fact, it's a friend who I used to play football with. Um, and I, this was our brainchild and, uh, we're going out together and all of a sudden I was sitting around this weekend. And I was like, Oh man, I'm going to miss the D one final. <laughs> well, I mean, at least you got a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a relatively good reason. So I'll, I'll go out there and, uh, and, and see that big one and, uh, you know, cheer for, uh, New Hampshire, uh, alumni and favorite son, Ryan day, I guess. <laughs> is that game, is that Michigan or at Ohio state? It's at Ohio State, Ohio yeah. State. So we're going in there, and then we're going to go to uh, the Hall of Fame uh, on Sunday. Yeah, the Pro Football Hall of right. Fame. So right. yep. be a cool little weekend trip. All right. Well, I I'm sure I will. Uh, I'll try to do my best and uh, to to keep you up to date on Twitter with what's going. Assuming Twitter still exists by Saturday. Uh, <laughs> what's going on? I hope so. That's where I get all my scores and stuff from. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. Oh, and um, also want to mention, too, that Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, there will also be uh, the final episode of the season with Bishop Girton uh, up on the website. Uh, hopefully, I'm hoping to get that up there in the morning, uh, but, you know, maybe afternoon. We'll see what happens with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that'll do it for us this week. Mike, thanks again for, for joining me and for, for talking some football. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. I'm Joe Marcellina. He's Mike Lockman. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there, and we will talk to you again next week.